0: Hello listeners, producer Ben here, and it's Mental Health Awareness Week this week, so we've teamed up with Calm, who we've been working with all season, to bring you this special bonus episode. It's our pal David Priest talking to his old friend and teammate Tony Coton, a goalie for Watford, Man City and Sunderland, and a coach at Man U and Aston Villa. They're going to talk about their respective careers, but also the particular stresses of a life between the sticks, and how Tony sought help after first his playing and then his coaching career was cut short. Calm is the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide, which is the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and a web chat for any man who needs support. Find out more at thecalmzone.net Tony Corton. thanks for
1: joining us today. Welcome mate, good to see you, it's been a long time
2: It has, I should uh, should explain that we,
1: we've we known each other a long time, we were together at Sunland. Yeah, I was responsible for you not kicking on at sunland <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no I don't Res- Responsible for me leaving, no <laughs> No, no, I think um, the broken leg uh, put paid to that Yeah, um, well both our injuries at, uh, at at Sunderland You even more so, I mean I had a lot of injuries at Sunland, but I mean yours was a uh, pretty serious one wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean it ended my career, but um, I was I was player coach and responsible for the goalkeepers, which you were one of them. But unfortunately, eleven games into the season, um, five fractures in a in a just innocuous challenge at Southampton for Sunderland um, ended in five fractures and uh, the end of my career and really the end of my goalkeeping coaching career at Sunderland. We're discussing
2: uh, your book here. There to be shot at, not a biography. And, and quite early on you, in the book, you mentioned the, the mental pressures that are on goalkeepers now. You, we, we speak about injuries there now. There's a lot of sort of mental battles that go on with p- footballers when you, when you get injured. You know, how did you deal with that uh, think, at that time of your career?
1: I think in, in general, uh, Precy it's, it, it's sport in general. You know, any, any people that play sport, whether it's amateur, however keen they are, or certainly professional sports people when they get the injuries it's it, it's how, how you overcome them and it gets easier as you get older because you learn to deal with things um, when you're younger you want to play at all, at all times even when you're not fully fit and I can vouch for I've done that mm. you know when I was at Birmingham it wasn't for the money although my appearance money was um, bigger than my actual wages um, the fact that sometimes you were forced to play through injury and other times you wanted to play you know, I can play through that injury. You never, you know, you might not have done yourself justice by playing, but um, that's the way it was those days. But the mental side of it is um, it is very difficult, especially if it's a, a near career-ending one, fortunate or unfortunate. Mine was at the end of my career, mm. my, my big injury or injuries. Um, but I've seen some some talented people, not just in football, um, lose their careers to injury relatively early. And um, you know that must be hard to take for them, you know, because it's always a case of what might have been for them, you know. And it's those mental, mental sides. Listen, I think they make you a better person when you when you really deal with it and you know how to deal with it. But it, it's very hard when you're young. It really is. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and that's the key about it's about how you deal with it and, and either being taught or learning to deal with those situations as well. And so it came at the the end of your career. And we, we've both been through this now because injury sort of curtailed your career a little bit. You still had a, a, a long and successful career. But once you come to, that, to the end of your career, did you find any difficulty when, once, that, uh, once that stopped?
1: Yeah, I, I, I found some really dark periods. Um, you know, I remember the nurse walking into me at um, uh, the Fry Ridge, I think the, the hospital I was, that I got transported back to up in um, uh, North Allerton and uh, under the specialist care there of a a Dr. Weber, and um, she walked into me, and I was crying my eyes out. I was 36 years of age. You know, I'd had most of my career, but I'd I'd still got another two or three years left, I felt, Mm. and wanted to play till I was 40. And I was crying my eyes out, and she didn't know why I was crying, and it was the fact that I think I knew myself, I hadn't been told that my career was over. So yeah it's um it, it, it's difficult and you you have injuries you know you miss periods of your of your career for maybe two weeks three weeks with different injuries but you know they're not career threatening this one at the end was um i i knew deep down when i did it that you know, i'll be, it'll be a be struggle for me to get back so there were periods where you 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 sort of a bit of self pity a bit of uh you know just just being down on yourself you're not really looking too far ahead right okay this has happened if I've got to finish now I'll do this or I'll do that you don't think like that because you just want to keep playing I can only imagine from my point of view having it at 36 years of age of what it must be like when you're a 21 or a 22 year old it must be awful
2: yeah exactly I mean uh, I know that I was probably about the same age when I stopped stopped playing and I realised that it wasn't just straight away that it hit me. It's kind of you think, oh well, I'm still young enough i and still going to do the things. i still going to coaching, went into coaching, but then maybe I don't know about a year or two later. It just it just kind of hit me that that there was something missing because it's it's you're so attached to to being a
1: footballer. It's part of who you are. I the, think the, the biggest part of certainly a footballer. I, I don't know about a, a, an athlete who's uh, or a golfer or whatever it is where. It's individual, you know, um, and they deal with things different. But I've been in a team environment all my life. So from primary school to my secondary school, which secondary school was an all-boys school, and going into football, I've been surrounded by boys, men, um, laughing and joking, life and soul of the party, Mickey Taker, having the Mickey Taker out out of me. And I think from that point of view, from missing that day-to-day changing room banter um, was the biggest. It wasn't so much the the games. I could deal with that. I thought I'd played, you know, over 500 and odd games at the top level. I thought, right, okay, I've done that. It was the day-to-day of getting up and what am I going to do today? You know, and I used to get in early so you could see everybody arriving, what they're wearing, take your mickey out of that, this, that and the other, have a cup of tea with them, what you've been up to. Uh, it's suddenly taken away from you, and um, it, that's what I found most difficult. I don't know about yourself. Is that, that oh, was I was a...
2: exactly the same. I think that that's sort of an hour and a half before training. I always got in first. Always made sure you know you say hello to everybody and you speak to everyone. It's that it's the contact with people that, yeah. that you miss. And I've gone from doing that to to sort of writing and journalism, where you just you're, it's almost a like solitary confinement. You know, and yeah. you you can get cabin fever. Yeah. And you, you just miss the interaction with people, and it's. I know we all we all say it's. So we miss the banter. It is that as well, like you know. But it is just yeah. just chatting to to each other and and talking about things, and you get things off your chest. You're telling people who you've only known for a year, but because you see them every morning, you open up a little bit more to the person you uh, you sit next
1: to and get changed, and, and you, people don't you, see that. You certainly see. Um, I'm involved in former players' associations at the clubs that I've been at. Um, you know I'm just a member really I don't I don't get into organizing anything but I just turn up at all the different functions golf days or mm. dinners or whatever it is charity events and you can tell the ones that, are, that went out of football and they've never had anything to do with football you can you can tell now there might have been um good lads when they played this that and the other and then th- whether they turn the back on football or football turn the back on them um you can certainly tell some 30, 40 years later when you meet them mean, the banter is not there, it's gone, mm. you know, um, and because it's never been continued, you see. Um, I'm lucky enough now, I'm working at Aston Villa and I try and get into the training ground at least three days a week just to get me fixed, and that's what it is, a fix and a little bit of humour. Um, obviously, there's a serious side to it when we're, when we're talking um, the football side of it, but just having... The banter—that's—and that, for some periods in my life, um, I never had that, and I was. My wife said I was a completely different person, and I'm a different person now that I'm back in it.
2: Going on your your you book as well, close to the end, it's in, in sort of recent years. You, you you talk about your your health problems that you've had, yeah. uh, with your heart attack. You talk about what happens after after the your problems and and how you were
1: feeling, how it affected you. Um. um I think I felt a little bit resentful in the wrong way. Uh <laughs> if there is a right way to be what, resentful. Is it for like a I? why me or Yes, yeah. exactly that. Um because I'd got a um a brother and sister who wasn't sporty. They never played sports. They um you know, they got the working men's club working five nights a week and uh this that and the other and I'm the one that gets a heart attack and I'm the one that's relatively kept kept themselves fit, obviously. Been in sport all my life. Played sport from the age I could remember, uh, and I get the get the heart attack. But it was um, it's an hereditary thing, um, you know. And I'm, I'm touching wood now that nothing happens to my to my brother or sister, obviously. But I did. I thought, why me? And I went into a a dark place. I used to sit just st- watching the TV, not speaking to anyone, one-word answers, getting invited to different functions and not telling my wife because I didn't want to go. And um, it wasn't really until the nurse come to see me, a little bit of aftercare, how you coping and this, that and the other. Um, and I started, I don't know, uh, being a baby really to her, you know, and, and, and moaning and all this. It wasn't until she, she pulled down the zip of a, a, a uniform, just a, a little touch, and I thought, right. first of all, I thought, oh, hey, what's going on here? I've uh, <laughs> seen this film before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she started, it was the top of a a, of a scar, and she said, look, you will get over this. I've had open-heart surgery, and that was many, many years ago, and I live a normal life. i this, that, and the other, and it was like a, a wake-up call. You know, an uh, alarm went off in my head. I'm thinking, why am I sitting around here moping, sulking, making everybody miserable, making myself miserable? And it was there and then I decided to um, to uh, do something about it. And, so uh, I did. And, and did you go and see someone about that? Uh, yeah, I went to see a therapist or a psychologist. Or I just, I just thought I needed to speak to somebody other than family. So I took myself off without anyone knowing. Um, paid for a few sessions told them what was on my mind told them what was really really um, you know why I was down and those sessions really really helped me uh, put life into perspective Uh, stop being selfish stop thinking about yourself think about the others around you and um, that's what I did and um, it really helped you know um, I've just recently been doing a um, some charity stuff for Paul Stewart and David White mm. with the Save uh, Charity, um, which is in light of the Barry Bennell uh, case. And um, you know, it's the big message really is for men, no matter how macho you are, get out there and talk about it and speak. And you know, this this macho thing now is it's old out. You know, just wise up, open your mouth. And speak about it, and you'll feel a lot better, yeah you really will
2: so you mentioned about the time
1: when you you know you you get home you i oh, you're in the hospital, but you burst out crying yeah the first the first time when um I had a man cry uh if you want to put it that way, no, sorry, it's be the second time, the first time was when I cried to the champ when <laughs> <laughs> don't cry, champ as uh um, when I'm watching that film but um, no the second time was obviously 36 years of age this macho guy who had this reputation off the field this that and the other did
2: you feel like you had to live up with that reputation?
1: no the, the, the reputation was given to me by other people um, I never earned that reputation it was um, right you know why let the truth get in the way of a good story so just well, well that was it there was only a couple of off the field things but um
2: it wasn't the man I knew.
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah, cheers. No, so it was. It was at the moment when I knew deep down that uh, I think my career was over. Uh, the first had the cry in the in the um, in the hospital bed, um, and then the nurse came in and caught me and uh, uh, tried to blame it on the pain. Uh, it wasn't the pain. It was the, it was the pain of knowing that my career was over. Um,
2: so, what you so, thinking? Are you thinking,
1: you know, sort of like more in your career, or are you thinking, well, what am I going to do now? No, yeah, it was just that I wanted to keep playing, and and I didn't want it to end that way. I wanted to retire on my terms, again selfishly, but uh, I wanted to bow out when I wanted to bow out, not because of injury. So there was a lot of factors. There was a weight, you know. My wife was, and um, she's not our youngest now, but she was was at the time was just a year old uh, they were back in Bolton we hadn't moved into our house in the North we'd, we'd sign for it um, so I got all that to come um, but I knew deep down I, I didn't think I was going to get back from it I could just tell the way the surgeon was speaking to me um, so I slipped into a little bit of a dark place in, in, in hospital and then went, I certainly did um, when they told me my career was over Um and um, as I say we moved into that house and I'm thinking well, why have we moved in um, when I know I'm not going to be playing again didn't know the way the coaching was going to go after it um, so I think that was the first real point I then have to finish my coaching career so then I'll go into the, I went into the coaching career after my playing career finished I went into the coaching career then I had to finish my coaching career cause much it, you know, yeah Uh, So I met Man United, um, it's, listen, it's the only place to be in football. I can't speak for Real Madrid or Barcelona or anything like that, but certainly in this country, Man United is the only place to be. It's the biggest, it's the best, fastly being caught up by Man City, I must say. But um, at the time, we were winning leagues on a regular basis, cups on a regular basis. I'd never tasted so much champagne in all my life. Um, we had the treble, we won the treble. Um, we were all over Europe, all over the world in World Club Championships, tours, private planes, seven star hotels. Um, you know, um, every day was like Christmas Day. You'd come into training and there was another gift for you, uh, uh, or the club sponsors, there's another boss suit, Hugo boss suit, unbelievable. So when I collapsed in training, um, on that Friday morning, uh, I knew my knee, my knee had been playing up for years and I, I thought it was a serious one. And then when I woke up um, after the operation um, to see Sir Alex there, the club doctor, the physio, and the surgeon advised me that, you know, if you want to end up in a wheelchair, carry on doing what you're doing. They gave me a little bit of time. Again, I slept, slipped into that dark hole. Self-pity again, feeling sorry for myself, not thinking of where I want to go, what I want to do, not even uh, any plans whatsoever other than I wanted to continue and how could I continue? But again, I was told that the the surgeon said there's no way you can continue with a knee like that, you'll be um, in a wheelchair. You know, you're for, a, 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 for sure. When we were playing, sort of when you were playing, you younger, even at Sunderland, you know, there's
2: still a bit of a drinking culture there. Or did you lean on that at all, at all when you? Were um, after you'd finished?
1: No, not really. I, um, I think the period I did when, um, when I broke my leg at, at, at Sunderland, because I lived um, one side of Sedgefield, and Quinny was doing his. You know, Quinn, yeah. he was a very close mate, as you know. Uh, had done his cruciate ligaments living the other side of the, we used to meet in Sedgefield in the farmer's pubs and especially on a Thursday, we just, well we knew, Well, I he got back and had a good end to his career, mm-hmm. I was finished, um, yeah and then uh, obviously I piled on the pounds and, and this, that and the other and I thought, oh, saw myself in the mirror and thought, I've got to do something about this, um, so yeah, I did, didn't know I was really doing that, but it's just a, you stuck at home all day and there's so much daytime TV you can watch and this, that and the other. When I just couldn't wait for a Thursday to meet Gwynny for a pint. Yeah. Um Anyway, so then it all happened. I go to Man United and then I, I collapse and I'm told that my coaching career's over. And I just didn't know what I was going to do. And To be fair to Sir Alex, he said, look, take a little bit of time, come and see me. He said, I'll put you on the scouting Team, and you can do some scouting for us, and, and all this. And um, I thought it, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I made a decision when my head wasn't clear, and you should never ever do that. Um, I didn't know what I wanted, but I just suddenly said, Now nah, I'm gonna, I've done it almost, you know, since I was 16. I'm gonna have a bit of time out now, and I'm gonna find myself and do whatever. but in uh, in all honesty, it was the worst decision of my life to, to walk and turn me back on Man United because I then sort of come away from Man United and then obviously the longer you're away from somewhere, you, you get, tend to get forgot, um, which I, re- I did really. And then I was getting invited back to things and I thought I wasn't part of it. Forget the 11 years I was there. I just felt I hadn't belonged there. Yeah. It was a really strange um, feeling. I got invited back to a few cup finals and I just turned them down. I just didn't want to go because I felt I weren't part of Man United anymore and I didn't want to be seen as hanging on to it. So that was after the the worst decision of turning my back on it. I then had a period of like where I, I did a bit of agency work. I didn't like it. I did some scouting work. And then all of a sudden I got an opportunity to go over to the Middle East. I went over to Dubai to set up a coaching structure, really, from grassroots for a professional team, and um, it was just what I needed at the time. I felt myself being more unhappy every day. On a daily basis, it was getting worse and worse because I hadn't had that interaction, I hadn't had that banter. So this job offer come out of the blue, I went over to Dubai, um, met the guy um, who was working for the... Um, Crown Prince and this was a professional team and I was to go and set up a coaching structure from Grassroots as it happened they hadn't got a first team manager we get into pre-season and I got led with the task of taking the the team to um, Austria on pre-season tour Um, I told them I'd had two days training I couldn't tell who was the best players who was the worst players who played where or whatever after two days and forget it was pre-season so the fitness side of it has to come into it I had a fitness an English fitness guy called John Phillips and um, a pro zone guy called uh, Chris Loxton both both English Chris had come from a table tennis background no football experience and John had been working in Malmo in, in Sweden as a fitness coach so the three of us just sat down in Austria and said, right, I've got to give you a training programme. We devised this training programme. Um, and What I didn't know was that 45 players turned up for this <laughs> for this, uh, pre-season in Austria. And wow, did it open my eyes. And did we have to think on our feet. Oh, and Fabio Cannavaro had joined us. A World, sign. C- World Cup legend. So put even more pressure on us because <laughs> we've we got to show that we know what we're on about. Um, So at that time, that that period, and then sort of 10 days later, uh, David O'Leary and Roy Aitken walked through the door and I said, right, all yours. And then in that short period of time, which was a, a real pat on the back for me, I must have done something right because the players insisted that I stayed with the team. And I never ever got to do what I was meant to do when I was over there. I stayed with the first team. Um, and I said, look, I can't kick a ball. my knees that bad, that's why I retired. And they got me a retired goalkeeper uh, to come in every day for training uh, and did all my serving for me. Uh, And then I insisted that we got five goalkeepers in each session so they could all serve each other, and and we dealt with it that way. The heat helped, obviously, with the the aches and pains, Um, and it was a lovely part of the world to to live in uh, and a great experience. So that ended... I come back, and 10 days after I come back, I suffered a heart attack. I'd had various periods in my life where things hadn't gone right. I lost my mom when I was 21, Um, you know, and then my playing career had had finished. Then my coaching career had finished, and then I suffered a heart attack. And I think that was like the final blow and the worst that I ever felt after that. Um, in terms of going into a dark place and when they say you never want to get up in the morning I never wanted to get up Um, I never had a shower I sat in my bathrobe all day the telly was on but I I couldn't tell you what I was watching Um, and I never ever got to the stage where I thought I'd be better off out of here I never ever got to that stage it crossed my mind but um, probably I wasn't brave enough or Whatever, but it, I never ever got to that stage where I thought I need to put everybody out of the misery because I'm just a miserable so and so. That was the lowest I'd ever been, and and when you when they say you never want to get out of bed, I never. Right. Um, and my, my wife, and it was putting real strain on my marriage. It really was, um, you know. And I've apologized a million times to her um, for that period of our of our marriage of what it must have done to her. Um, you know, and to be unkept, not to have a shave, not to have a shower, and uh, I didn't want to eat. Uh, she'd prepare meals, I'd, want, I'd say yeah, and then I wouldn't want to eat. So I was really, really down, as I say. It wasn't until the nurse come in, told me what she'd been through, and I thought, because you think you're probably one of a handful of people that have a heart attack and have stents fitted, the amount of people that I spoke to that are, are walking around now having exactly the same procedure um is there's millions that's
2: um, it uh, that's the advice is to to speak to people so who have, have been through no
1: if you don't keep if you keep it all in our our people know mm. oh oh yeah, I had them by 15 oh fifteen years ago, never felt better yeah, it's them type of conversation you have and you go really.
2: It takes you that. Know? It takes that. You wondering about will I be all right? Into thinking, yeah, we'll be. All right. He's all right. Yeah, sure. uh,
1: yeah. You know, she was okay. She showed me the scar from open open heart surgery. You know, and then when you open up and you and you you tell people, I think it was the fact that um, the local Manchester Evening News had done a piece, and said he's recovering well. He's had stents fitted. The amount of messages I've got. You know, and it was just, mm. just. Um, I can't echo it enough because there's always somebody uh, that's been through the same or is suffering the same uh, and you can help each other.
2: Go back to the start of your career when you first start and you, you talk about the not just the, the pressures of young footballers but it's, particularly on goalkeepers it seems to be sort of prevalent that the, the pressure that's that's put on you in, in that position just the nature of the, of the job. Do you think that's... Um, You could
1: have benefited back then from, you know, somebody to talk to or... I speak about it, pre-C quite a lot at, um, you know, if I'm asked to go and do any... Well, I don't do coaching now, but I'll go and have chats and this, that and the other. I was abroad at the weekend um, working and um, I actually met um, the goalkeeper of one of the teams that we... that was playing and um, he's only a young goalkeeper. And they got beat, and uh, he was down, and this, that, and the other. So um, I chatted to him. I think I, I helped him about um, about mistakes that you're going to make, lots of mistakes in your career. This, that, and the other. Um, I think from my from my benef- uh, point of view, would I have been better? I think yes, I would have been better. I'd have lived my co- my career completely different. I would. Um at the time when I was playing, it was a culture that you all went out and had a beer together and uh if you if it still was not when, when we played together, yeah. yeah if you didn't, you know you were a wuss and you know you weren't part of the team um uh, you know, and you never had the team spirit and all that, so you did that um you ate fish and chips, you had pie and chips on a, coming home after a game um stuff like that, so the dietary side of it was was um completely different to what it is now but I think the technology um, in the game the analysts um, and all that we never had anything like that I don't think I was ever in my career ever ever shown a mistake a great save anything that he did well or that he um, didn't just do so well with because um, we never had the facilities to 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 do that um, I think now just little technical things you know, you could have been a yard further forward there or, you know, you weren't far enough across or look at your handshake there because when I was a coach, I used to break it down. I used to have cameras out on the training ground. Look what you're doing there. Look what you're doing in the game. That's when you when you did this. And and so much um, available for you these days. Um, I think the whole spectrum of, of my game or goalkeeping... Uh, from my point of view, I think I would have been a better goalkeeper. I really would. Facilities-wise, I mean the training grounds now, the pitches. Uh, uh, there's no mud on them. Nothing is there. You can no, to, no, yeah, you don't get dirty. After, you can come off after 90 minutes as clean as you you, you started. Um, you know. So the facilities. I was at Man City 90 to 96. And we never had a gym. Man City never had a gym couldn't do any weights anyway. Probably got know? more gyms
2: and players at the moment now. Yeah,
1: you know what I mean. So, <laughs> so you, that's what you that's what you were dealing with at that time. No canteens. No no, eat the right stuff. No dietitians. Nothing. So yeah, I think um, it goes without saying that anybody that um, was in my era that's playing today, yourself included, would have been. Um, would have been far better than what they were. And, and from sort of like the
2: the mental health point of view as, as well, you know, the, the, like the pressures that young players are under. People are probably a bit bit more understanding now. If you if you went to a coach um, and, and sort of said you had a problem or you had a deal problem, yeah. maybe back then. Do you, th- do you think? back it, then, it all
1: goes under the same umbrella, Precy of macho. It's it's it's, it's the same thing. It wasn't seen to be not, Look at these players now, that David White and Paul Stewart and all that. Yeah. The things that they've hidden. You know, um, and live with. It's unbearable, unbearable to think about it, you know. So just because you might have been having a problem with a girlfriend or your mom and dad were splitting up or um, other off-the-field things that affected you, why you're not sleeping properly, um, you know, you never, you kept it all in, didn't you? You never went to a, a coach because you didn't want to be seen as a sissy, so so yeah. to speak. Um you know, it's that macho thing where you just you kept it all to yourself and you you had to deal with it yourself and you had to come through it. The morning after my mum died, I went into training. You know, now I think they give you a fortnight off, mm. to and rightly so. Yeah, yeah, to you know, so you can have you you bereave on your you know with 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 the rest of your family. I went into training because I thought I'll get dropped or you know I'm missing training or you know I was useless in training, but. um but that's what you did and, you know, I'd left my dad on his own, you know, and he needed somebody. So that's, that was that was the nature of that macho hide everything and deal with it, so to speak, wasn't it? And I go back to everything now. It's not now. And um, what what did I say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah. So I can only say, again, the message is open up, talk about it. Don't keep pushing it away. That's it, and I think
2: a lot of managers didn't understand. You know, you say that they might see it as a sign of weakness, or that you know they've put doubts about, uh, into their head about you, but they don't realise it. If you can solve that problem, if you can help them,
1: then you get an even better player on your on your yeah. hands. I mean, yeah, without doubt, I think the support network uh, now, certainly in Premiership clubs, and certainly at our club at Aston Villa, um, the support network is, is. There's nothing that a player doesn't want doesn't can't get help with anything, you know. It's it's there. Um, I remember Graham Taylor once saying that he was first and foremost a manager. He was a coach. He was a marriage guidance counselor. He was a bank manager. He was a second-hand car dealer because he sorted everything out yeah. for the players at, at Watford, you know. Because yeah, problems have gone on for players for many, many, many years, and they're still going on. But now they employ people in those various roles to deal with that, you know. They'll Man City they'll have the financial guy ready for the young kids. They'll have the car guy ready to sort the cars out and the insurances and, and this, that and the other. Um and again, most clubs have a club chaplain mm-hmm. these days. You know, somebody if somebody's a believer, they'll go and yeah. you know, and, and and speak to them. It might be off the field things, it might be that they're not playing very well and I need a few prayers to be said. <laughs> exactly,
2: yeah. When I was at Barnsley, uh, sort of last few years of my career, there's a guy there, Pete Amos, who's the, uh, the chaplain there, and it, it was always strange that he could you could walk past me in the corridor and be and sort of seem happy and uh, say hello to him, have a lot for a five minutes, and then he'd come back to you about five minutes and say, uh, "Do you want to go and have five minutes in the in the team dress room?" And, and he sense knew, it. yeah. It he he it. just knew something was up. And, it, and like I said, not there was a few of the lads that had like little sort of like, a, like a religious group, sort of like a little church yeah. group that it's, that go together. But also there was lots of other lads who just all they did went for five minutes chat yeah. every week, and it was just it was so much help, yeah. so much help.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I know Man United. I think I don't know whether John Boyers is is retired now, but he was he was at Watford when I was at Watford, and then met bumped into him again, obviously, uh, when I went to Man United. Um, he was—he'd um, moved from Watford to to Man United, and you know, in in the early stages when I got into a, a couple of brushes with the law, went to court, he was there for me. Mm. Said a little prayer outside before we went in. Um, it must have helped—not <laughs> um, uh, with a fine, but with <laughs> a sentence. Um, but um, you know, they—they they are the, the support networks that, that players have now. There's no excuses mm. for them. There isn't. Obviously, we're doing this for karma because it's an important
2: message to get across. And it's like you said about the situation about uh, you know sometimes you don't feel like doing anything. You know, yeah. you, you get it's a type of way of thinking where you just you just want to sit there. You don't know, will bother you when it's it's kind of what you need. You you just need that
1: little bit of contact and to yeah to get in, contact, yeah. in touch with I, someone. I think. Listen, it's it's um, it's having the right person to speak to. And this is what it does. It can it can put you in touch with the right person to um, to speak to from whatever walk of life you're in. You know, we're not just talking about footballers or sports people. We all we all go through various upheavals or tragedies or whatever it is in our lives. Um, and um, it's it's just knowing who to turn to and who to speak to. And I can only vouch for myself. It was a it was a blessing for me that. Uh, that I had people to speak to. It really was. It really helped me.
0: This bonus episode of the Totally Football Show was made possible by Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. You can find Calm at thecalmzone.net and please, don't keep your problems to yourself.